You're listening to Own Your Voice, a podcast dedicated to helping leaders leverage their expertise and increase their influence. This show is brought to you by Heritage Brands, the leading advisory firm for expert leaders like you who are ready to own their voice. To learn more, visit heritagebrands.com. John Barnes, welcome to Own Your Voice. It's nice to have you today. Thank you. So tell us about your business, Pendleton Street Business Advisors. You know, you and I have known each other. You're actually one of our local guests. That's not always the case. Um, So I know you hear from some of the local business community. Um, But tell me about your business. Where did it come from? What do you do? Um, Average clients. Let's get into it. Sure. Um, Well, I I co-founded this this firm in, in 2013 with my partner, Matt Morley. Um, essentially, we are financial advisors to business owners. Uh, we help them with, you know, kind of a tagline thing is we help them with make or break financial decisions. Um, there's kind of two types of two buckets of clients that, that people usually fit into. One bucket, we think about like an airplane that they're landing. Um, they're maybe near the end of their career, maybe three to five years before when they want to, to stop working, but they, they've realized or come to the realization that their business is their um, 401k or, or retirement plan, so to speak. Uh, and like a lot of people, a lot of Americans that have no clue what it, what, how much money they need to retire, they don't know what their lifestyle really costs or things like that. Um, we help run sort of a classic financial planning exercise for them to find that out. But then we pair that with what you might find a Wall Street analyst doing for a, a public company. And that's to say, what's the, the target stock price that based on talking to management, looking what's going on, you know, we look at the target as what does it need to be worth when you sell it? We don't really care about what the business is worth today. We care about what it needs to be worth based on meeting those uh, client objectives. The other bucket of clients that we have, um, again, thinking about an airplane, we think about them as takeoffs. They're not taking off in that they're startups where they're sort of pre-revenue or just kind of barely, you know, getting off the starting block. These are businesses that are usually five to seven years into their journey. They're they're making payroll, they're growing revenue, they're doing all the things, checking all the boxes that that a lot of business owners want to check. Um, a lot of that that startup stress is gone. But what the the problem they're having or that they're encountering is they are growing. Things are good but it's beginning to hurt personally. Um, there's maybe no cash flow going to them. There's no economic benefit other than a paycheck that they're getting from the business or they, they want to grow and they've got to add staff. Maybe they're thinking about, um, having an equity incentive for key employees. Maybe they're thinking about raising money out there, uh, raising equity. Um, we help, work through those make or break decisions, um, all the while keeping an eye on financial planning for them, helping them understand the deals that they need to get, the investment return that they need to achieve with their own business. Um, and so we, th- there's kind of two worlds, the takeoffs and the landings kind of meet in the middle in, in our process. Hmm. Takeoffs and landings. I like that. That's, uh, that's a good way to kind of envision that. And mm-hmm. functionally on the internal side, as you guys deliver those services, what does the sort of interior of your company look like? Do you have to have a large team to support the services that you're doing? I know you mentioned a business partner. Is it just the two of you? How involved are you all in day to day? Talk to me a little bit about just, you know, functionally the running of your business, what that looks like. Sure. Well, we've got a total team size right now of six. Um, that includes myself and, and my, my co-founder, um, Matt Morley. So there's six of us. You, know, you go to our website, PendletonStreetAdvisors.com. Uh, you can see everybody's picture and bio there. Um, you know, I'm a certified financial planner by trade. Um, Matt is a certified valuation analyst. Um, and so that's where we kind of put together the analytical and the planning. We have um, another um, lady on our staff, um, Serena Concepcion, who is apprenticing as an advisor. She's working on becoming a certified financial planner now. Um, we have um, Savannah Lawner, who essentially is our is our COO, director of operations. She, she sort of keeps everything going. We've got an analyst, uh, Jordan Black. Um, who does all things analytical as well as works inside our investment process. And uh, we've got Emily Paget who um, works on all things client service. 
um, uh, a lot of client communications and, and things like that. So own your voice as a show, you know, we talk to owners of expert firms and our goal is to unpack what building and growing an expert firm looks like. Let me ask at the outset, expert firm, what does that mean to you? Would you use that descriptor to describe Pendleton street? Um, I've never used that term, but I mean, I, I think I understand what you're saying and that we've, we've built up a body of expertise. Um, you know, when you, when you're in a, a professional services firm, I, I think that the secret that might not be in your marketing material, but your your next client gets the benefit of all the previous client work you've ever done. In other words, your newest client is going to get the most experience. Um, they're going to get the most um, benefit from what you've done so far. And then the next one will be better and the next one will be better because it all, it all sort of builds. I think that's something that... Um, maybe people that are inside of a firm like that don't realize or don't necessarily think about. Again, I don't know that you want to, you know, want to broadcast that to, to your clients, but I think if you're honest, you know, that that is, that is true. You know, um, people who read my, you know, ramblings and who listen to this show will know that I'm a big fan of David C. Baker. So he's a, just a great thought leader in the space on building and growing professional service firms. And he just put out a book a few months ago. Um, I don't want to say the title wrong, so I have to put it in the show notes, but it's his newest one. It's his follow up to the red cover book, the business of expertise, which was mm -hmm. excellent from a few years ago. But mm -hmm. in his latest book, the one that just dropped, he's got a dedication page and he dedicates it to all of his previous clients. And he says something like, you know, whether you knew it or not, you, uh, you, you were unwitting victims that turned into, you know, helping me become the person I am now, you know, so it's kind of, I'm hearing some echoes of that, but of course not in any kind of a bad way. Right. I mean, we are the sum total of what we know. That's where expertise sure. comes from. Um, sure. Yeah. And I think expertise also certainly comes from experience. I mean, there, there's an aspect of learning, you know, sort of, sort of in the academic sense, I think, but you know, there's no teacher like experience. You know? mm. um, and I think, you know, in the, in the type of service work that we're doing, it is very much um, experience based and experience led. Hmm. Um, there's probably only seven or eight actual business financial problems. Now they manifest themselves in hundreds of different ways. It's it's like calling you know a bird saying oh that's just a bird. Well, there's thousands of varieties of, of birds, you know, um, but you know, in, at the end of the day, if it has wings and, you know, flies and uh, it's covered in feathers, you know, we know it's a bird. Well, I think that, you know, that experience where we can probably categorize most people's issues in their businesses financially, probably in seven or eight buckets. But again, it's kind of fun to see what color those feathers are or what that mm -hmm. bird likes to eat or where they fly, where they live. You know, that that's what can vary tremendously. And that, and that adds just it makes it fun and interesting. So y'all, your business, uh, many of you have these, um, I don't want to say degrees, but you know, these professional certifications, CFP, CFA, I I'm thinking about competitors and I'd like to know your thoughts on competition, whether you feel as though you have competitors or if there's a specific number of clients you're aiming for, that means that, you know, at the end of the day, Franklin, it's not really competitors. It's just you know, plenty of opportunity. Do we say yes? Do we say no? So let's talk about competition, but let's also talk about moats to that competition. I mean, a, a professional certification is one such moat. I can't show up and pretend to be a CFP and sell any right. sort of, you know, uh, regulated services. I can't pretend to be an attorney, that sort of thing. But then there's also the experience, you know, you mentioned 2013, Happy birthday to you guys, by the way, you know, one decade in. Yeah. Um, and I know more about your story than some of the folks listening will. So I know that your experience in this world even predates that. So you brought that to the table yeah. with you. So it's kind of a huge mega question. But at the end of the day, let's just talk competition and let's talk moats to those competitions and where expertise plays into that. Yeah. So back to the, um, the credentials, I, I think that, you know, if credentials also connote competence, I think that's table stakes. You know, when someone is hiring a, a professional, I think they expect them to be competent. And so when you when you have some credentialing behind you, 
that that is a way to demonstrate the competence. Now, you got to pair that with experience. Um, you, you also um, pair that with, well, frankly, a lot of other things when you're talking about a relationship business. So I think, you know, competence sort of gets you in the door. People sort of assume that, especially if you've been referred, you know, they're, 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 they're looking at what their friend got from you and they're saying, Hey, I want the same thing, or I'm just like them. And, you know, can, can you help me as well? You know, competitors, um, it's interesting. There probably are some direct competitors. In other words, there probably are some firms out there that have a similar, a similar type team with a similar set of competence competencies that they hold out there in the market. Um, but we haven't run across a lot of those. I think when I think about competition, what I think about are um, people that are maybe only focused on selling a business and they, they sort of answer a how question. Like I know how to get your business sold. And I think in our world, a lot of business owners want to skip to that point. They're like, oh, well, I know I need to sell it. So now let me go try to sell it. Well, if that's what you're looking for, you're going to find that in spades in the marketplace, whether it's a business broker or an investment banker. Um, I air quote uh, because I think most investment bankers um, are not investment bankers in the Goldman Sachs or the Morgan Stanley standpoint where they're using their firm's capital to run or underwrite deals. They're just business brokers. There's nothing wrong with business brokering that that's very necessary. But I sort of um, as a professional, I sort of roll my eyes when people try to um, engage in maybe puffery uh, to describe what they're doing, just to dress it up a little bit and to pretend like maybe they're not um, in another industry. Um, be prepared for all kinds of hate mail and comments from uh, the investment <laughs> banking industry. Um, that you can direct them to uh, John at I don't care.com um, if you want to. But, uh, you know, I, I think that there are people out there that will also focus on an aspect of your business in terms of, you know, finance or taxation. A lot of times I think um, CPAs are put honestly in a bad position by their client to give them sort of business advice in terms of strategy and, and even structure on financial things when really a CPA is competent in taxation. But I think a lot of business owners think, oh, well, my CPA knows all my numbers, they get all my financials, then surely they ought to be able to answer this question about, you know, is this a good investment or is this a bad investment in my business? the CPA is not going to want to disappoint their client and say, I'm, I'm really can't help you with that. They're going to, they're just going to answer the question, but hmm. probably from a lens of taxation. And so we talk to our clients all the time about, you know, when you focus on taxation, you're going to get an A plus there. But a lot of times if you get an A plus in one sort of category, what are you getting? What is that making you get a D minus in on other things? Right. Um, so there's a bit of a balancing act. And again, balance doesn't necessarily mean e giving equal time or equal focus to these things. A lot of times it's just acknowledging that there are other things to think about beyond taxation. There are other things to think about beyond legal services in a business. Um, so is what I'm hearing the distinction, would, would you draw it as a distinction almost between strategy and tactics is that sort of what i'm hearing is you know for you when you're operating in your highest and best use you can answer tactical questions but the expertise right. of the pendleton street business advisors firm is that you can go one layer above that pattern match against what other clients have experienced bring that to bear on a client and say let's talk strategy before we even start deciding how to do it. Is, is that a fair yeah. breakdown? Yeah, I think, you know, um, people love tactics because they can sink their teeth into it and it sort of looks like a to do, you know, a box to check. Like, did you do this thing? Yes or no? Strategy, I think, um, is a little bit harder to come by because it, it requires more thinking and it probably involves the answers to even more questions. Um, a lot of times, I think a good advisor actually um, helps to limit options 
for that client to, to make a decision on. And what I mean by that is when you apply the competence and the expertise in your field, a lot of times clients in of, of professional services firms get very frustrated when they are presented with a variety of options. And then when that client asks the natural next question, which is, well, which one should I do? A lot of times that service provider, and you, you particularly find this in law and in, in um, CPA work, where you get kind of a, uh, you know, from, from the advisor. And what they're saying is, I don't know which one you should do, but I know you can do any of these. But if you want me to pin down a direction or to set a direction, um, I'm probably not going to do that. There's a lot of reasons they're probably not going to do that. Some of it goes back to liability. Some of it probably is a competence issue. Um, Some experts think they demonstrate expertise by presenting a variety of options. I've got kind of an opposite take on that. I think if you're an expert, if you've, if you've understood where the client wants to go, if you've answered a lot of what and why questions, the hows, the HOWs, the hows become uh, very limited. And so instead of presenting 12 possibilities that are just that, they're possibilities, you can increase the probability that maybe two or three of them are very high value tactics, if you will, and then it, you get a lot more peace of mind from the client because they, they feel more confident that even if they're sm- choosing between a much smaller subset of options, they know that all of them are very good. And then you can really start studying the nuances on the pros and cons of that very small group of, of options. But you've got to apply the competence and the experience to, I think, narrow the field rather than present this very wide lens approach. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. And I'm hearing a lot of themes in that response about trust. So when you are working, really trust and competence, I guess, would be the two things that are jumping to my mind. So when you're working with a client, and maybe we should even consider them in the prospect seat before they become a client. um, And this is my way of starting to merge us into the direction of when we're thinking about building and growing expert firms, how you philosophically think about the growth of your firm. Um, when, when you're, when you're thinking about an existing client or a prospect, if we know that competence signalers are important to signing Mm -hmm. that new business or building that new relationship. And then we know that trust is an important part of that as well. How do you, signal the competence and how do you build the trust and how much of it happens before they sign and become a client and how much of it happens afterward? Yeah. Again, this, this, this might be a bit of a contrarian take on signaling competence. Um, I think you signal competence based on the questions you ask, not in the information that you provide as sort of this, you know, word vomit to a potential client of just how great you are and how much you do know. That's excellent. But I think, um, you know, learning how to, you know, you can demonstrate competence in a very uh, elegant, but also direct way by asking good questions, questions that that are specific to maybe the problems. Like I said, we've done this long enough to where we know there are maybe seven or eight main problems in, in that most businesses incur, whether they're a takeoff or a landing landing prospect. And so, you know, based on sort of selecting, okay, are they, are they, are they a landing or are they, are they a takeoff, which is easily discernible? Um, then, you know, you kind of know which direction to go in, in terms of asking certain questions that a lot of landing people are facing or a lot of takeoff facing, uh, people are facing. And then from the get go, they know, like, Oh, well, this person really knows their stuff. Cause we've moved beyond how was your weekend? What are you into? You know, the chit chat stuff, which, which is not unimportant. You've got to establish rapport, but if you're a professional services firm, you're, you're getting paid, um, not based on what you tell people, you're getting paid based on what you find out and you find things out by asking questions. And you said one of the responses you're hoping to prompt is this person really knows their stuff. That makes sense. Is there, is it also, and maybe even more so, is it you're looking to create the feeling of, oh my gosh, he gets me. 
Like I, I have this thing that keeps me up at night or I'm worried about landing my plane and this is my whole retirement. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, he gets me. Is, is that part of what you're looking to create when you ask the right questions? Yeah, I think that, I think that is part of it. There, there, there's some understanding in that even sometimes in some of the, the other stories we're able to relate to a prospect about other clients is, Hey, we've seen this before. Hmm. And we're not trying to, we're not trying to say that your issue is small or it's insignificant. It's like, we've seen this before. Maybe it falls into one of those seven or eight buckets. You can, yeah, you let me, can let help me tell you two or three match. stories of how things have played out. You know, mm. I think that's where a lot of times when people have problems and, and they're maybe at a professional, they're, they're seeking out professional services. Human nature sort of makes you feel like you're kind of the only person that's ever encountered this issue ever in history when that's just not true. Um, again, especially if, if you're kind of in a, in a niche setting and, and you're focusing on, on kind of a niche clientele, you should be an expert on what those seven or eight main problem categories are. You, you should have developed questions to find out what's going on there. You should have stories from other clients where you've helped them achieve uh, the outcomes that they wanted. And you can kind of relate that back in an appropriate way to that prospect. And that's what, I mean, the journey of expertise, I think done right is a potentially a, a lifelong journey. Is oh, that absolutely. how, is that how you, like, how do you become better at your work? You look for more opportunities to learn even more deeply what those seven or eight buckets look like. Yeah. You just do more work. I mean, you get better at the work by doing more work, you know, um, by going out and for us, it's meeting more business owners and talking to them about those kind of things or, or asking questions, trying to get into conversations um, to find out how they're handling those seven or eight pretty common problems. Hmm. And sometimes in those conversations, they, they realize like, oh, my gosh, like this person really knows what they're talking about. And I do kind of have those problems. And can we talk further about that? You know, and again, it's not where. I'm in those settings trying to sell someone or, you know, who looks like a good target. I really like what I do. I like being in those conversations and finding those things out. And so someone in your professional services firm's got to be that person that just likes having the conversations, likes finding things out, is able to tell the story about what you do and tell the stories of success that you've had with other clients um, to try to attract and bring people you know, into the firm. You're listening to Own Your Voice, a podcast dedicated to helping leaders leverage expertise and increase influence. If you're finding this show helpful, please help us by subscribing, leaving us a review, and sharing this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. So you're talking about having these conversations and I'm hearing that it, they serve a dual purpose. On the one hand, it helps you get better at your craft because you're giving yourself more at bats, if you will, to sort of yep. feed those seven or eight buckets of, you know, when I started my career, these seven or eight things, maybe I didn't even know they exist. Now I've discovered that they exist and I actually have a hundred examples behind each one of them. Um, so certainly that's part of the value of those conversations. I also hear that, you know, we're all in business. We all need to be protecting the people that we have. You mentioned the six people on your team, including uh, the partners. So there, there is a business growth reality to thinking through, mm -hmm. you know, if I don't actually have those conversations, people may not know that I exist. Well, now we're not able to actually put ourselves out there and grow. Right. So what those sound, those sound important. And I think you spoke to that when you said, if you're in the professional services setting, you better hope there's somebody there that likes having those conversations. How have you and Pendleton street business advisors, how have you thought about the whole big picture of creating those conversations? What, what, what are some of the, the thought processes that you've gone through to try to have more of them? And do you publish them to the world? Do you keep them to yourself? What is, it sounds like an important business function. So unpack that for me, how you guys handle that. Yeah, it, it's a uh, vital business function. Um, and for many years, we were just really bad at it. What we were bad at was being more active in telling the world who we were, what we did and what happened. 
we were really good at getting referral business. In other words, we did great work for our clients. They got great outcomes and they, they told other people. And thankfully, that fed our business for a, a really long time. Um, it, it's what most people want. But my partner and I just not one day, but I mean, for years we've talked about we should be doing more. We could be doing more. We, we know based on our experience that thousands of business owners are having these issues simultaneously at any given moment in the day, just in the United States, much less, you know, all over the world. And we want to help more of them. You know, um, I mean, we, we've set and, and, and not that it's a, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal. We don't, we're not into the gimmicky type stuff, but I have thought like it would be really cool to have impacted a hundred thousand businesses in my career. Um, I honestly don't know how far we are into a hundred thousand. Um, but I know we're further than we were when we started 10 years ago. Um, also, I think, you know, growing a professional services firm, I don't want this, this to be lost is you have to grow the people inside the firm. So, so growing the firm occurs by adding revenue, more clients. That's pretty obvious, but you've got to grow the people that are inside a professional services firm. You mentioned earlier, Franklin, about it being a lifelong learning, you know, having a, a true curiosity in the craft that's fueled by the outcomes that you're a part of helping a client achieve. Finding people that are motivated that way is is pretty important. But but getting back to sort of the, the marketing and telling the world, um, about maybe two years ago, we we put some flags in the ground as as partners, not necessarily as as employees in the business, but as partners that we were going to make more investments in telling the world what we were doing, who we were doing it for, and what happened. Um, and that's that's come in a variety of manifestations. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about that, but instead of me, just, I'll let you ask some questions before I just kind of like tell a really long story that might be kind of boring. No, that's great. So, so two years ago, you guys are eight years in on your partnership. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me know if I've gotten this mostly right. And you're looking at your business, there's been growth. Um, and, and let me, let me, try to get a sense of kind of the, the, the graph behind that growth. It started as you and your partner, Matt, when did you add that third person? Was there, was it a flat sort of line or has it been a little bit more all of a sudden in the last, you know, three or four years, you've kind of hit a little bit of, um, of a growth curve there. What, what, what did that look like? Um, it's been a pretty steady increase. You know, it, it, we've, I mean, you can almost think about it as almost averaging a person a year. We actually started, um, with four, um, in 2013, we, we came out of an existing business, um, that was, that was in transition due to the owner's death. Um, that was a, a long, um, just brutal story that, um, my partner and I ended up buying the assets of the old business out of, out of the business and sort of restarting. It was basically the same work. Um, a lot of the same people, um, we, we got, we took clients with us, um, as part of that, that purchase, um, and so, so we really started, we didn't start from zero. We didn't start mm. from scratch. We, we bought an existing business that we were employees in that we learned our craft from our mentor, the owner of the previous business, which was WHM capital advisors, uh, it was owned by a, a gentleman named Bill McAfee, who hired both Matt and I into that business. He was our, our mentor and teacher and, and taught us the craft that was started back in 2007. So, um, we, we never started as a startup. Uh, we, we began as a going concern um, that, you know, we, we just wanted to continue after, after his, his um, very untimely death in an accident. Hmm. So we, we have added people along the way. Um, and we're at a point now where, where the firm is growing in terms of numbers of new clients, because of, I think, some very um, adept, but also some some hard won, won lessons in in marketing that maybe we can get into uh, where we're telling that story more actively. But again, when you tell the story more actively, you get more clients that way. You start getting good good um, outcomes, and then they begin. You know, the referral network now becomes even larger. 
And so, so it started um, as referrals. Like I'm, I'm hearing that that, especially coming out of, um, that's a, that's a fascinating story and, and it sounds like a sad one. So I'm sorry to hear that, but coming out of the previous business, um, obviously the, the flywheel, if you will, of referrals already was in existence on some level, having those, uh, six years of history between 2007, 2013. So you mentioned two years ago. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, 2020, probably roughly 2021, you and your partner looked at each other and said, Hey, you know, for the last seven, eight years, it's been mostly referral based, mostly that word yep. of mouth. We're not going to go buy billboards necessarily. Right. But what would it look like for us to think more longer term about creating some systems that would actually drive revenue growth? Have I got that timeline roughly right? Yeah, and I think we'd even been talking about it before that, but mm. it's one of those things of working on the business versus working in the business. You know, a lot of a lot of our time was working in the business with our clients because again, we were growing. I mean, the, the same people that have to think about the work are the people that have to do the work. <laughs> mm. So, um, I think really the pandemic, you know, sort of the, the forced slow down and reset that began in probably the spring and summer of 2020 is where a lot of those seeds were sown in our mind, because it's not that we had less work. I think everybody just downshifted, you know, mm. our, our clients downshifted, we downshifted. Um, it was really, a, um, I mean, now I can say it was really a nice sort of forced slowdown. Hmm. Um, so we in that, in that white space, you mm -hmm. guys were able to take a look at each other and say, let's do this. And then what did you decide to do and how have those efforts gone over the last few years? I think the first thing we decided to do, and we didn't really know it was that at the time, but we, we started a podcast, um, like, like a lot of people were doing. Um, but we did it on, over video. Um, we, we didn't just buy a bunch of audio equipment, start recording things and throwing it into, into um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We wanted to tell the stories that we've had the privilege of hearing um, along the way when we're having those conversations with business owners about, you know, trials and triumphs and, you know, sort of how they did this. You know, you get all the how I built this, you know. All these kind of things that people, you know, it's sort of like a voyeuristic look um, into the lives of business owners. Well, we wanted to do that and we wanted to do it in a way that looked good and sounded good. Uh, the pandemic created a lot of what I was referring to as sort of homemade content that people were just putting out there because they didn't have anything else to do and everyone was figuring out how to use Zoom. Mm. Um, we wanted to take that a bit higher and almost have our firm be known as a firm that was willing to go through the time, trouble and expense of creating something like that. Again, I'm, I learned, I know now that's branding, that's not marketing. So we started um, footnotes, which is our podcast that now we've, we're into the fifties the and numbers of episodes where um, they're, they're shot and produced with a, a local uh, media company called the Pearson collective. They make it sound good and look good. We, as Pendleton Street, source all the guests um, and, and develop all the content. And it's been awesome. Um, it, it is expensive uh, relative to, to, I think, most things um, that people do to, to put you know, that kind of media together. But people began associating Pendleton Street business advisors with foot, footnotes. And they were a little surprised that we didn't use footnotes as sort of a surreptitious way to talk about our business or to market it, if you will. Um, I think people, that was a real head scratcher for a lot of our audience. Um, I get that question still all the time. Like, why don't you use it to help your firm? And what I know is that it helps our firm tremendously by not being so overtly uh, commercialized. We want to tell stories that we think are worth telling. We want to make them look good and sound good. And we also give the footage to our guests for them to use to market their own businesses. Um, and so we want to be known um, for being generous. We want to be known for doing high quality work, um, maybe even a little bit too high, too high, if you will, for what most people would be willing to do that. 
because we want people to think like, gosh, if they're doing that for the public, what are they doing for their clients? I like that. I like that. It takes like close to 40 episodes for people to (laughs) (laughs) draw that conclusion. But, you know, we're, we're now starting to hear, I'm starting to hear those questions and I'm glad because we've put a lot of, um, you know, capital, but also a lot of time into it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a labor of love and, uh, I love it. Also, so it's, a, it's, it's a labor it of love. Me. Has it, has it actually helped draw new business? I mean, you know, you've been at it for years and you know, yes. I'm sure it takes time to get the flywheel going, but can you sort of attribute actual yes. business growth to those efforts? Yes, it, it has. Um, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a secret is I think about companies that I would like to work with. And again, it's not a prereq. It's not it's not a, a quid pro quo. Um, we don't even tell those companies when we interview them. But I'm in my mind, I'm, I'm using it that way as a way to, to establish a relationship with that with that owner, that CEO to build trust and report and say like, Hey, I'm willing to give you something first. And I'm not even really sure if I'm going to ask for anything in return, but I want to, I want to create value. I want to highlight them. Um, I want to get their story out there to help other people. I mean, I really do. I know that sounds like a throwaway line, but we've just gotten too much return to not think about it any other way. So it has to start with authenticity. Mm -hmm but it's all about storytelling. I mean, this is really a storytelling function and you mentioned branding as well. Yeah. So what's, what's the role of branding and storytelling in the professional services firm? I don't know if people would have been talking about this 20 years ago, you know? Yeah. I don't know that I even have a good answer for that. I mean, again, we thought about our brand being associated with this production. Um, I also like stories. When I think about our client roster, all of them have stories and I enjoyed every, I have enjoyed every second of learning the story. And by the way, you're you're continuously learning the story because even when our firm gets involved, like we're now becoming part of that story. And so, you know, the story continues to build. I don't know that it ever, ever really finishes. And so, you know, footnotes is a way to get those stories out there. It helps me practice, honestly, asking questions. Um, I use those interviews as a form of practice for the interview process, if you will, that I do with, with prospects. Um, I'm not asking the same questions in a footnotes interview that I would with a prospect, you know, again, going back to those seven or eight, you know, business problems or things like that, but it's, I kind of impose a, a rule for, for me that i when I listen to an episode of footnotes after it's been released, I don't want to hear myself talking more than 30% of the time. I'm, I'm not a big fan of interview podcasts where the host is the one that's really just doing all the talking. You know, um, right. I want that guest to say their piece, you know, and I want to lob up good questions that are going to get them in a, in a, in a mode to tell that story. Um, so that's what I'm working on is, you know, what, what can I ask them that just gets them talking and that makes them feel comfortable about sharing? So the footnotes that there's, um, that, I mean, you're, you're meeting some people that I'm sure are, like you said, you know, you're thinking about businesses that would fit the type of profile that you want to actually work with. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about other ways to use that content, when you're thinking about audiences, is there a way that either you are, or maybe a way that you've contemplated using those stories and using that content to accelerate a sales cycle or create trust in the market before people meet you, uh, sort of express that expertise in ways that drive some of that inbound flow, if you will? Honestly, not yet. Um, we just haven't, we haven't gotten there. I mean, I think that footnotes right now is just footnotes again we want our firm to be associated with it we want those stories to be out there um, i'm using it a little bit as a prospecting tool um, but nothing nothing sort of formal or programmatic yet i mean it, it could serve as that i mean we've built up a good body of, of a, a library of episodes um i think we will continue to be more strategic in 
um, searching for guests, but I'm kind of good with that right now. Mm -hmm. You know, my partner, um, I have his blessing, if you will, on that. Um, and that's, that's just kind of where we are right now. I mean, we've only kind of taken that pivot to use it as, as beginning to, to be a prospecting or marketing tool really just in the last six or seven months, you know, kind of last part of 22 now going into 2023. Um, so I think we're just going to kind of see how it goes. And you've mentioned geography and you've mentioned, uh, it's not necessarily a BHAG, but it is a thought that how interesting would it be to impact many, many businesses at scale? And I, and I love that dream. I mean, America is one of the great things about this country is, you know, we have such a powerful, uh, service-based business-based economy. You know, it's incredible to see the lives that get impacted, the people yeah. that you have the opportunity to employ, the people that your client businesses employ. I mean, it's truly a, a great way, I think, to impact the world and impact society. So I know you to be a traveler. Uh, you've just gotten back from Africa, for example. Um, you've, you've lived in many places. Talk to us about, you know, footnotes. It, it sounds like I'm reading between the lines here. I'm reading the footnotes, if you will. <laughs> but it sounds like it's a local play. Um, Pendleton Street Business Advisors, you know, can you service clients anywhere? Do they need to be in your geographic location? Or yeah. what might some of those three, four years from now kind of visions start to look like? Yeah. So right now, I mean, our client base stretches across 14 different states uh, wow. here, in, here in the U.S., so again, going back to that word of mouth and kind of flywheel effect, um, business owners know business owners and, and they're not always confined to their, their backyard. So we're already working, you know, um, we have a client, I think, in every time zone in the United States right now, um, not Hawaii, but all the continental U.S. And um, so that does keep us busy. Kind of a, a pandemic carryover is um, up, we're doing a lot more Zoom and, and Teams calls with them, my, my travel status on two different airlines has dwindled pretty uh, significantly, but I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> um, so, so that, that, that kind of helps, but no, we're, we're certainly not confined by geography and, and don't, don't really um, want to be. So uh, we're definitely open to, you know, in businesses everywhere. I mean, to your point, especially uh, in, not only in our country, but in, in many places, I mean, it's, it's, you know, economics are at play everywhere and economies are, are, are forming and changing everywhere. And the, the backbone of, of most economies are businesses. And it's so all still um, those seven or eight buckets, right? You know, no, oh, no yeah. matter where you might be. Yeah. I mean, oh. it, it, I think as far as I'm aware, it cuts across culture, it cuts across, you know, geography. Um, it, 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 they're the same because essentially they're human problems. And, um, you know, when humans and, and money and opportunity began colliding, those, those seven or eight buckets are going to be right there. Hmm. So your website, and, and remind us again, uh, the URL for you guys. Yeah, it's just uh, PendletonStreetAdvisors.com. Awesome. So PendletonStreetAdvisors.com. Um, I've spent some time on there. I've seen uh, some downloadable content. I've seen some assets there. I've seen there's a link to footnotes, of course. I do think, you know, you, you guys seem to have done a pretty good job of being thoughtful about who is coming to that website and what they might be doing there. So mm -hmm. I want to ask, as somebody who's been in, you've been in your industry now for multiple decades, even though, you know, the current business that you own, it's, it's been these last 10 years, but how have you seen buying habits change for your prospects? I mean, are people, I know you have referrals. That's a heavy part of business growth for you. Um, in a referral setting, people are just asking like, Hey, what, what's your thought on John Barnes? Is he a cool guy or not? Um, but you know, do you have people coming to your website, self-educating how, how much research yeah. is happening before they ever actually pick up the phone and talk to you? Yeah. I mean, um, the short answer is a lot of research is, is happening. I think a lot of that is driven. Uh, um, something I didn't mention earlier, we're, we're pretty active on LinkedIn in terms of, um, I write a lot of posts on LinkedIn, my partner, is putting posts out there. We're, we're writing about those seven or eight buckets. We're writing about clients. We're writing about um, just issues that we're seeing. A lot of my stuff is, is more um, 
what am I frustrated with today? <laughs> um, <laughs> the contrarian, John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sort of, but it's more of, of just things that, um, you know, have just kind of gotten my goat. And so maybe it's a, a, a little way of a little self-therapy where I'm just, I'll write about it and I'll write my thoughts. And, you know, that stuff has caught a lot of traction. So I think what happens is when you put yourself out there digitally and, and you're creating valuable content, again, I, I'm not necessarily thinking about someone hiring me based on what I write, but people hire us based on what I write now, you know? And so I think what happens is they'll, they'll see something on LinkedIn. They'll, they'll begin, a, you know, sort of following the algorithm, start serving them up what, what I'm writing. And then I think they're going to our website and, and they're definitely doing more than a digital drive by, because again, we can track that stuff. They're watching our videos. They're, they're reading some of our longer form stories that we've got out there about clients. And, and what we're hoping is that if we can drive traffic to our website, I think you said this earlier, they will find themselves. They'll find themselves in some of the stories that we're telling on the website. They'll find themselves in some of the writing that I'm that I'm writing about. Um, sometimes when I'm when I'm a little more disciplined in my writing, I do have a person that I'm writing to, and that person is a hypothetical client. Um, I mean, I, I've got a persona in my mind. I literally have a have a worksheet that I will pull up where I've written about this imaginary person. I review my worksheet to get um, Jack back in my mind. Jack is the is the person, and I write to Jack. Hmm. And so, not everybody is that person, that guy. But when people see themselves in Jack, I'll usually get a DM that will usually lead to a Calendly link that will usually lead to a conversation. And sometimes it stops there, but it's a conversation. We were able to connect. Maybe I asked them a few good questions that no one's asked them. Usually they get kind of mad, actually. That's when I know it's working, if they get upset. Um, because they're not upset with me. They're upset sometimes that no one's ever asked them that, that may have been in a position to. Another advisor, uh, key employee, somebody like that. Um, they get upset with themselves that they've gone as long as they have without maybe even thinking about some of the things that we're raising that we're, you know, um, bringing to their mind. And now that I know them and we've established a connection, I mean, I put some stuff in our CRM and I remind myself in, you know, a couple months to touch base with them. And, and again, that's what also helps lead to new business as well. Just even following up, you know, mm. um, that's fascinating. Th th that's a lost art <laughs> It is, and, and we're, we're drowning is. in tools that can help people follow up. Um, and it's just amazing how people just don't, um, they don't follow up on a conversation that they had that again, that person wasn't ready. They got a lot going on. I mean, we're working with business owners. I mean, we're, we're, we're never, we've never been in someone's budget. They've never been dreaming about hiring a firm like ours. Um, we're not inexpensive to work with. Um, and, and so it, it's not going to be something where someone makes a snap judgment to hire a firm like ours. There's a, there's a bit of a process usually. So there's a process, but you're giving people things that they can go and interact with to say, yeah, let me check these guys out. Let me, yeah. let me sort of see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, they, they and it sounds digital drive by, they got to be able to kick the tires. They've got to, they want to know what you think before they pay you to think about them. If that makes sense. That's outstanding. That makes all the sense in the world. That's outstanding. Um, so it sounds, I mean, you guys have a more sophisticated approach than, than many in this area. You know, how much time and budget are you setting aside? Is this, do you have a percentage of your time each week that you say, Hey team, I've got to go right. Or is it more ad hoc than that? How often are you active on LinkedIn? Tell us what this yeah. practically looks like to maintain this content system. Well, the easy one is in terms of thinking about the, the capital that the, the, the money that we're adding or putting towards it, you know, probably two years ago or, or maybe even during during 2020. So almost three years ago now, I think my partner and I made sort of a partner decision that we began calling marketing. And, and again, for us, that, that's probably not the textbook 
word or textbook definition of marketing, but telling our story, telling stories in general, putting ourselves out there. So if that's what we define marketing as, we say marketing is a person, uh, meaning we are spending the equivalent of a full-time FTE at our firm on, on those efforts. That would include footnotes. That would include some of the, the marketing consulting that we are getting. That, that includes some of the um, paid things that we're working on that, that we hire um, other, other firms to do for us or to help us think through. Um, it, it is definitely um, a pretty significant spend for us. Um, as a percentage of revenue, I mean, I don't even know that we don't even think about it in terms of our consulting revenue is this. And so we're going to carve out, you know, move the decimal one place and that's what we're going to spend. We don't think about it really like that. It's more of what do we need to do? What activities can we outsource? Let's try to outsource those. What do we need to hold in-house? Like I do my own LinkedIn posts. Um, Matt does his own LinkedIn posts, but we're not videographers and film editors. And so we hire out for footnotes, you know, um, in terms of maintaining our, our company presence on LinkedIn, the care and feeding of that, we, we outsource that. I mean, we certainly have a hand in crafting those messages, but we outsource that. So, you know, we're doing a bit of both, I think, but um, it's, it's an FTE equivalent. Wow. So you treat the budget for it as an FTE equivalent. So, you know, we've gone from six people to seven, but the seven person that's uh, represented by all these different efforts and, um, you know, there's a role for outsourcing, you would say, like you guys would prefer as you, as you continue this forward to, to strike that balance between what do we have to save, but then what do we find a partner for? I mean, is that the way you think about it? Or at some point, would you say, actually, let's, let's get one person in here or can one person even do all those different things? You know, I don't know. Um, some, there are a fair amount of our clients that have a marketing person, you know, on their staff. Maybe half of them are happy with it. That is totally anecdotal. That is not scientific, you know, and, and that's really not what our clients have hired us to do. I mean, we don't hold ourselves out to be marketers, but I mean, we certainly look at and talk about every facet of their business and it definitely comes up because they'll ask, well, what are you guys doing? What's Pendleton Street doing about this? And I de describe something similar and they probably seen our LinkedIn stuff or, or, you know, that's how they came about it. And, a lot of times they're like, well, your stuff works and my stuff's, you know, not, not working. And, you know, we, we have kind of an offline conversation about that, but. And why um, is that? Like, let me jump in on that though. Why do you, because I see you on LinkedIn as well. I mean, pr pretty often, pretty actively. Why does your stuff work just to, to put it bluntly, right? Why does your stuff work as compared to someone else's? Would you tend to think? Well, I think I'm the only person that has my voice. I think, I think if you try to hire out to recreate that, there probably are skilled writers that, that can mimic or, or kind of do that. Um, that's probably super expensive. We don't have the budget to find that writer. <laughs> um, also, I'm, I try to be pretty disciplined and write to Jack. Jack's the only person I care about on LinkedIn, you know, um, and, and, and I've really, you know, when I go to the writing room, so to speak, which is where I'm sitting, it's my office. Um, I don't have a cabin in a, on a, on a you know, mountain overlook or anything or, or some, you know, I just, I sit right here with, with the rocket and all that stuff. And I, and I write to Jack. So I think just, just having that, uh, that approach where I'm really trying to, to speak to one person, I'm not trying to speak to LinkedIn. Speaking to that one person, I like I'm, that. I'm speaking like to a that. single person when I'm when I'm writing. It just so happens that again, because of those seven or eight common business problems, there are a lot of jacks out there. But I'm thinking about Jack. Well, it's funny. I, I hadn't intended to read this, and I'll have to post the uh, book in the show notes because this is this is a new book that I literally just got in yesterday. Um, so I'm. Let's see. The author's name is Eric Newsom. And, uh, that's N U Z U M and it's a book about podcasting. And I've got this quote that I had put in my notes. He says, the voice of a podcast is like a promise made to its audience. 
this is what we're going to do and how it will be authentic and how it will fit into the podcasting space. Hmm. Sticking to that voice like it is sacrosanct is keeping that promise and demonstrating the creator's respect for the audience. So it feels like that ties in pretty well to what you're talking about. You know, you got to keep yeah. the voice, maintain the voice. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, we've gone a little longer than I intended to, John, but l- let me ask uh, just as we close here, in the interest of building and growing the expert firm, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about professional service firms. We've talked about yours specifically. We've talked about pattern matching. Um, we've talked about those seven or eight buckets and the need for conversations to both sharpen your own output, but also give you the chance to speak to the types of people that might find value from working from you. Um, and we've talked a lot about storytelling and, uh, you know, I feel like you've been part storyteller in this conversation, which has been helpful, but also, you know, you've put your business owner hat on too. Like, how do we think about the financing of these decisions? Uh, when did we make these decisions? At what point did we make them in our business journey? So as we sort of end, maybe let's think about Jack, um, or if not Jack, let's think about John for all the other Johns and Matt's and Franklin's out there, B2B expert professionals selling services, if they wanted to end this conversation and and just kind of create some white space and think about what comes next in their growth journey with regards to what we've talked about today, what would you want them to be thinking about in that quiet moment? Boy, um, that's, that's a good question. I I think so. So let me me rattle off a few things. I, I think one that, that professional services, um, owner, professional services firm owner needs to be thinking first, am, are we doing high quality work for our clients? I think if you're doing high quality work where you're focused on that outcome that that client wants, that is going to take care of a lot of things. Now that is far easier said than done, but first and foremost is, are we, are we taking care of the people who are already paying us to do our work? If you've got holes or gaps there, I would, if it were me as a business owner, I would, I would plug those in. I would spend the money and the time to make sure that I was doing the best work possible given the team and clients that you have. I think after that, I would, I would think, you know, all right. So my message to the world, let's say you've got that under control is, you know, are the assets that I've got, whether it's a website whether it's social channels, you know, the content that's on those, a podcast, you know, what do I want these things to do for me as, as the owner of the business? Do I want my website to be a way to onboard new clients? Do I want it to be a way to educate prospects? Do I want people, you know, what do I want that website to do for me? And then what do I want my social channels to do for me? What do I want my podcasts or other media assets to do for me? Because I think you can have them all sort of positioned to do different jobs. But how much thinking have you thought about the roles that each of those things play? I I think thirdly, I I think it's, um, so let's say you got all those things going for you. You know, what we've had to do as a client or as, as maybe clients of ourselves, if you will, is continue to be niche oriented. We, we can't solve everyone's financial problems, but we can work with business owners on their financial problems that relate to looking at their, at their business as their largest asset, to look at their business as the lead investor. And so we continually remind ourselves about who our clients are and the ones that we want and, and stay inside the confines of that niche. Um, and that person is Jack. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, you know, in my writing, I'm thinking about that, but just again, you know, company, when you're good at something, people want you to be, people want you to do things for them, but what they might want you to do, you will know as the expert, it's a little bit, it's not in the confines of your niche. And so it's like a client told me years ago, and I thought it was just old man talk at the time. He said, 
you're going to be far more successful based on what you say no to than what you say yes to. And that is very, very hard in the early days because you're scrimping and scrapping and, and you're, 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 your hair's on fire and, and, and you're just trying to do, you're trying to make a house payment. You know, um, you're, you're trying not to be bankrupt. Um, I get that. I've been there. Um, and, but hopefully you don't stay there. And the re the way you don't stay there is you have to begin saying no to things. Um, every, um, every distraction comes disguised as an opportunity. Outstanding. Outstanding. Every distraction comes disguised as an opportunity. That's and, excellent. Um, you know, you, you've got to, you've got a niche, be loyal to your niche, love the niche, dive deep into the niche and just be known for that. And that's back, back when you said that persona of Jack, um, Jack is someone that, that fits inside that niche that we're helping directly. John, that's outstanding. All of this has been outstanding. We really appreciate you. Tell us uh, to close. How can we stay in touch with you? Where can we find out more about you? Um, website is Pendleton Street Business Advisors.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find my partner, Matt Morley, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find our firm on LinkedIn. That's kind of the one social channel that we're mainly on from a, from a business standpoint, um, our podcast footnotes. Um, of course you can find that on our website. You can also find the audio only version wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we're on Spotify, Apple. Um, and there's another one, there's maybe two more, um, that I don't even know about, but we're getting them on all those, those channels, but check those out too. Um, uh, we're not going to try to sell you anything on those. We're just going to, um, put up a story that we think was worth telling. John Barnes, Pendleton Street Business Advisors. This has been great. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you for, thank you for uh, being interested. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to On Your Voice. If you find these conversations helpful, please consider helping us by subscribing to the podcast, leaving us a review, or sharing this show with a friend. To learn more, visit heritagebrands.com. 